Thank you for tuning in to this message from Kingdom Airs International, headquarters located in Flagstaff, Arizona. Welcome to Heaven Awareness Night. If you guys were with us last week, uh, we talked about the Feast of Tabernacles, right? And what a sukkah is. And what this is tonight is a representation of being able to activate that. Um, heaven awareness is, is for that purpose. We, we worship, praise goes first. Uh, it does so many things when you, when you worship and you've got that heart of gratitude. Then you gain knowledge, not by your head, but by your heart. When your heart can see, your head will follow. So you obtain that knowledge. But then there's a time to activate that knowledge. And tonight is the night that we get to activate that. And what tonight is going to look like um, is we're not going to guide us through a heaven encounter. But for probably about the last hour, this setup is an opportunity for us to have the simplicity of intimacy. There's no, there's nothing that's going to um, guide you or talk you through or, or uh, it's, it, you have an opportunity for you to engage with him within a corporate sukkah. And we get to activate everything that was released last week. There were some things that got hit in the spirit in such a way that began the activation of transformation. It began the activation of building. We decided to lay down uh, almost some some ground rules, if you will, but that he's giving us permission as a family to say we're, we get to start building. And what we wanna do for a, a little bit of time before we just kinda launch into, into that is uh, I want, we, we both want to speak about some things catapulting off of last week. Because how many of us know that we've actually been here before? And that when the answer comes or when it's time to actually move, we miss it and we have to do it all over again. We're at that crossroads. We have an opportunity where at one point, the body of Christ, there was an answer that came and then there was a missing of it. And so there was a road that took them, uh, like Gobby's taught, where it's going around. You're still gonna get where you need to get to, but it's just gonna take a lot longer. And I believe that we are at that crossroads. I think it's been this whole year that we have an opportunity where he's saying it's now time for, for the family to begin to build, basically build on his original intent. What are your traditions? What does this look like? It's all, we're only going to be able to for so long be like, we're done with the church era before Yahweh's like, so what are you going to do about it? If you're done with something, then what is it that you're going to do with me? If that is not the representation of what you were put on this earth for, remember we're transitionaries, it's not against, I, I honor those that want to end the church era well, but if we are considered transitionaries where we are understanding this wrestling match of one door closing and we're in the middle of an era of another door opening and we happen to be those forerunners, that remnant that says, I want all in, I want the realness of all of it, I, there's how many here's the simple here's the simple way of saying it how many of us at any point in time said this whole kingdom thing at some point there's got to be more you would not be in this room and you would not be watching on live if you did not even if you thought whatever was going on over here was crazy you know that back then you told yourself there's something that there's more There has to be something more than this once a week shot in the arm where I'm living a double life. I'm totally depressed. I'm totally uh, just, I've never seen his face. I've heard about him. I think that preacher really knows him well, but I've really never seen his face. I've never been knocked on the ground where I've encountered the beings of heaven. I've never understood the angelic. I've never understood, right? There's gotta be something that's like, there's gotta be more. Okay, we're at that more. And then the moment the more gets released, typically what happens is, nah, no, I didn't mean that more. But but was that not what they cried out for with Yeshua himself? 
please save us from this Roman Empire. Save us from man's structure. Save us from all these rules and regulations. And then he goes, here. And they're like, oh, not, not you. That is not the king I thought was going to show up, right? So there's a crossroads as a family where he's now saying it's time for us to build. It's time for us to honor the things that were of the original intent. If you think about it, the first floor of the building was just some foundational uh, kingdom principles, right? Moving beyond salvation, understanding that we've, we are uh, born into his family by the spirit of adoption, that we actually have his blood, right? That we have a ministry of reconciliation. If anything, it was kind of like a, oh, that's why I'm saved. Oh, that's why I answered that altar call in the church age. Thank God for the church age because there was an altar call, right? You had the invitation to salvation. Praise the Lord. Now you're saved. Here's the problem. Typically the church age says, stay saved. So you have to keep getting saved, but now he's saying, can my sons and daughters raise up to be mothers and fathers and actually carry the anointing because there's a government resting on your shoulders, right? And so he's saying, can you guys go beyond salvation, understand your original identity and begin to carry my authority so that I can be established, I, him, be established on the earth? Can we actually establish my kingdom? Instead of just talking about how good my kingdom is. That's salvation. So then the first floor of the building was, you have his blood. Right? And really under, okay, is that real? Did I, almost it was like the first floor was like, did I, did I really get saved? I think I did get saved. I think his blood meant something, right? So there was that activation of that. Then there was the ministry of reconciliation. Most of us said, what is that? Paul says that you have the ministry of reconciliation. What is that? What is that ministry? What does that mean to reconcile? What does that mean to say, I'm going to meet you here? What does that mean for that wall to be divided, right? Then yada, knowing. Do we really know him? Amen? That first floor was just kind of like, can we activate the basics of salvation and make it real as we begin to lay a foundation? What was the last one? Knowing, walking. Do I really walk like him? Do I walk with a different frequency that would allow me to walk on water? Do, do I walk differently? Uh, to bring up that story that they talked about with the woman that went and pressed through the group not only did she press through the group, she had to make a decision to leave her house. It was an absolute humiliation to leave her home with that kind of condition. You were home ridden, you were to stay home and die at home, you were not to go in public, and if you did, you would be contagious. Sound familiar? You were not to leave your home and you were not supposed to be and press through to anyone because if you touched anyone, they would get sick. She had to press through the humiliation. She had to press through and acknowledge her condition. She had to want something outside of her condition and her condition said, this is the way you're gonna die, stay home. And she had to make a decision to leave home, press through, and be able to acknowledge the condition she was in and even have to deal with other people's opinions in her condition as she rubbed up against them just to get to the hem of his garment. That's an opportunity that we have tonight is to be able to activate that. And so I just want to set the groundwork that we are at a shifting place. We are at an opportunity where we may have to go through all of this again if we don't understand that he is beginning to reveal the mysteries. He's beginning to acknowledge the maturity of sons and daughters to say, here's my original intent. He's beginning to give it to us. And we at any moment could be like, no, nah, I don't really like your gifts. I don't really like your original intent. I think I'm going to go back. So there's an opportunity tonight, Megan talked about it last week, where she saw people on, at, uh, in the hallway. Tonight is a night where you're going to leave your home, you're going to acknowledge the condition you're in, and you're going to run through that hallway. And it's going to be by his spirit, not by anybody else's. Okay? Does that make sense for what tonight is going to be? Uh, but in order to do that, um, we, we want to talk a little bit about what we ended with last week. If you guys remember, uh, Dad talked about Malachi 4. So we want to kind of set the groundwork for some things, and I want to present a couple of things. And I also want to, uh, it's almost going to be a call to action for this family. Okay? So uh, with Malachi 4, he's going he's gonna to read some things. Uh, why don't you go ahead and do that? 
So I think with the weightiness of this, I want to invite you to stand while I read this. But don't, but before you stand up, I want you to really think about what you're standing for. Because as I'm reading this, I'm going to summarize where we've been in the last five to seven years to where we are now in a few minutes. I'm going to summarize that so we can locate ourselves because tonight we're going to set some of the first standards moving forward that come with building. Now that we've stepped over the threshold of a new reality, we're going to set some of the standards, the very first ones, and they're very critical. And so I want to invite you to stand. Go ahead. While you're standing, I'm going to read this, and I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to hear what I'm saying because in the book of Malachi, it's like we've been walking it out for the last five to seven years. And I want us to understand the magnitude of where we're at and how we're, we, we, we're partnering with the cloud of witnesses for the last five to seven years. Go ahead and close your eyes because I want you to focus on what's being said. And I want you to understand that this is what Yahweh has taken this family through. The book of Malachi is what happens when Yahweh's people have their own expectations of what his return will look like. But because of their corruption and unfaithfulness, he had to bring a prophetic messenger and a purifying fire to uncover and establish a faithful remnant. Having removed idolatry and injustice from those who responded to this invitation, Yahweh used this messenger to steward the people through the fire and prepare them for the great day of the Lord by turning them back to him. These people would reclaim blessings of abundance by restoring their faithfulness and the care for the temple which they had let fall into disrepair. Because this faithful remnant could be trusted to turn back to him fully and keep his ways. Keep his ways. Mm -hmm. They were given a scroll of remembrance which pointed to the past to inspire hope and a covenant-keeping future with Yahweh. These remnant gatherings would be centered around the scroll and driven by honor and a genuine fear of the Lord. I truly believe we have joined the ranks of this faithful remnant. We have. We have burned with them through the fire. We are embracing the scroll of remembrance and our understanding is being restored to that of the fathers. We now boldly know that when the great day of the Lord comes, it's not a threatening event that we escape from, but a great rejoice of righteousness and healing of the land. That's the book of Malachi, four chapters. And that sums it up in my words. Those are my words. But summing up the book of Malachi, can you relate from the last five to seven years, even if you haven't been here the whole time, you've heard testimonies, you've heard the story of what God has taken us through. He's looking to uncover a faithful remnant that he can trust that will be faithful enough to continue to keep his ways. The woman who had to touch the hem of his garment, I'm sure she was getting stepped on. Right? It's going to look crazy. We're going to look crazy. We're going to be criticized. But he's looking for the ones that have been burned and refined enough that he says, I can trust you with my scroll of remembrance. Yeah. Amen? Can you relate? I want you to let that rest on you as we move forward tonight and we talk about what does it look like to keep his ways and we establish those first standards as we move into building. Amen. And you guys can you guys can be seated if you want. If you want us to continue to stand, you can totally continue to stand. Uh, I released this the day after uh, we ministered last Friday and I want to bring it up again because I wanna make sure that everyone is able to hear this. Um, specifically, when we are discussing things like, right, we're on the floor of honor, right? We're on that second floor. So we are going to begin to learn what we're supposed to honor. Like I said, that first floor was almost just kind of like 
a reminder of what salvation had done for us and is it really real? <laughs> Do we really want to build on that platform? Now that we are building, it's almost as if that building, that second floor, people are gonna begin to see the building begin to get taller, if that makes sense. The floor is honor. And what he showed us is that we are going to begin to learn what we're supposed to honor. Now remember that what you're supposed to honor might dismantle what you've been honoring. So that is what is a little bit difficult when they're talking about the press because we, I, I wanna, we keep saying this and I don't know if we all amend it, but I wanna say we all amend the cutting season. I don't think we did, but we got through it and now we're like, ugh, to the building or at least I am. Now I look back, I'm like, cutting was way easier. I mean, at the time I was dying, but it seems way easier now because now building is, it's not, I don't want to say works in the way that we've known it. It's not works, but it is because it's ownership, which means more work on earth with him in rest. <laughs> rest did not mean just cut it down and swing on a hammock. It meant learn to operate out of my completion, learn to operate out of my rest and do something with it, which actually means I'm working more now than I ever have before, but you're all telling me I'm supposed to rest. I don't like it. So cutting was easier because that to me was rest. I was laying in a fetal position on, by the cross forever. And we just said, we don't have any programs. Sorry, we have nothing to offer you. That was way, I mean, at the time it was like the worst thing ever, but it, but it was way easier now than, <laughs> I'm like, can we go back to that? So building is we're learning what we're supposed to honor, which actually means we're supposed to do something with what he said, which means I'm starting to get confronted with some things that I've been honoring. And so what I want to bring up tonight is I want to talk about the cloud of witnesses. And I want to talk about some uh, a family in particular because I want us to understand. And I'm just going to say it uh, right now. Uh, this night is going to be a great activation for the men in this family. Okay. What? Here's why. Because when, I've, when I hear about the fathers of the faith, Malachi 4 was a huge scripture for us, that the hearts of the fathers are going to turn towards the sons, and the sons are going to turn to the fathers. What that scripture is actually saying is that your heart is going to turn to the fathers of the faith. You're going to remember Abraham. You're going to remember Isaac. You're going to remember Yahakov. You're going to remember Jacob. Most of us that grew up in church think they're Bible characters. Moshe is in our cloud of witnesses. Moses. Abraham is a father and our hearts are beginning to turn towards the original intent of what Yahweh was doing with our ancestors as Hebrews. They're not just Bible characters. So when Malachi 4 says that the hearts of the fathers are going to turn to the sons, there is a father's heart. How many of us have been wrapped up in that local mindset? Make sure you honor the fathers that have gone before you. And I'm thinking like the last 20 years. I'm not thinking the forefathers that lost their lives to make sure that I have the ability to stand here today. That kind of father. So what I want to talk about is I want to talk about a family because I want to make this real. A lot of you guys heard this if you're on Voxer, but I'm going to say it again. There is a family that if you uh, read in the Old Testament, which is the Tanakh to the uh, Barat a sheet, which is the good news, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there is 500 years that's just not really written about. So the church ages called it the silent years, but they were nothing, nothing about those 500 years were silent. So what I want to talk about is I want to give a little bit of cultural context when I talk about men being activated. So there was uh, Greeks who were basically wanting to conform the Jews to operate under their paganism, under their traditions, under their structure. And the way that they would do it would not be what we know today. Okay? What they did back then is that they would go to a Jewish family and they would specifically say, your turn is next, and you're going to come to the town square, and you're, we're going to do this in public. You're going to come. And I'm warning you, all you have to do, Father, is just eat a little bit of pork. 
as the head of the household, all you have to do is just eat a little bit of pork and you'll be fine. You will be saved. And you can go back home and everything will be fine. So the father that night knew what was going to happen to his family the next day. So he would gather his sons and he would put them on his lap and he would tell his sons, you're going to do as I do tomorrow because it is better for you to die in his name than to live a complacent life and and die later. And he would gather his sons, and I'm talking three-year-old sons, all the way up to the oldest ones. And he would gather his family and say, tomorrow's the day that we get to die for him. For a piece of pork. Can you imagine if we were confronted? Just get rid of that one ornament. So they would go to this town square and they would know what would happen. And do you know what they would do? They would line up the whole family in the town square and publicly humiliate. They would sacrifice a pig. They would say, just sacrifice this one time and eat it once. And the father as a priest in the home would say, no. And he would basically proclaim the word of Yahweh and he would say, as for me and my house. So you know what they would do? They would start with the littlest one and they would slaughter that child. I'm not talking about like a gun. I'm talking about beheading, chopping them up, slaughtering the littlest one. Then they would go to the next child. They would do the same thing. They would go to the next child and do the same thing. Go to the next child. And do you know that they would make the mother go last so she could watch her family die? Why? Because they were not willing to compromise his original intent and they stood on a conviction and said no. I believe that there is a, there, here's the thing. These families over and over and over and over again stood on the ground of his original intent because they refused to let anything infiltrate into their culture. So when we're talking about the Feast of Tabernacles, this is a purified culture that has been handed down from family after family after family. It's not tabernacles sprinkled with a little bit of Roman. It's not tabernacles sprinkled with a little bit of Greek. It's tabernacles. It's the same tabernacles from the wilderness. This is what they were dying for thousands of years later. The point of all of this is what do we stand on when 2,000 years later we are not even aware of his original intent? We don't even know what we should stand on. Because what has been infiltrated is a hodgepodge of stuff. So what specifically got brought up last week was that the things that we're honoring is like a mixture of all of this stuff. So what it is that these families died for was for the authentic celebration of the Lord. It was authentic. It was not, um, well, it wasn't compromised, but it wasn't... uh, It wasn't a mixture. It was authentic in what they were standing for. They knew the Torah. They sung it. They knew knew who he was. Is Is this making sense? It's not even about what it is that you stand on or what you don't. I mean, it is. But the point of this is that they stood on what was authentic and they knew his ways. And we've gotten so far off on the side, we don't even know his ways and we're dying on a battlefield. We don't even know what we're fighting for. So when I'm talking about a cloud of witnesses, I'm talking about that family. Because if it wasn't for the Maccabee family, if it wasn't for those, that family that wanted to restore the temple, there would be no point of us even being here. I would have no ability to be able to understand the authentic because I wouldn't, uh, is that making sense? They fought for that so that we have a place. Missy said something really powerful. It's actually a mystery when she said the lost ones are the ones that are his. He came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We are that house. Somebody fought for that house. 
So when he's talking about the cloud of witnesses, or we're talking about Abraham, we're talking about Isaac, we're talking about these fa- the family that, that lost their lives to continue for, for his ways to stay authentic. And that he is turning our hearts back to the fathers that stood their ground to keep his ways authentic. And we're beginning to learn to honor what are his ways. What did he say? Amen? There's, there's an aspect that the, I think about, I don't even remember who, who brought it up. I think it was, I think it was uh, when we were all talking. But we think about, um, it was Ellen who brought it up. Abraham sacrifices Isaac. He's asked to sacrifice Isaac. He was not five years old. He was 37. Can you imagine that kind of obedience, that kind of relationship that Abraham had with his son? And he said, yes, Lord. That type of um, obedience, devotion, fire, passion, knowing his word and not wavering on his word, even if it's that. If I could be as bold as to say, that is hard for me with that type of internal passion that's beginning to rise up inside of me. I didn't know what that was. I didn't know where it was coming from. I didn't know I would synergize with those type of people. I didn't even understand what it was. And I've walked 38 years in this complacent, lackadaisical place, and yet they were willing for my sake. That's not even touching on Yeshua. But the fathers that were willing, what I'm saying, what I'm trying to say is, is if I was to make it personal, Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son, and we're not willing to sacrifice our time. Or we're not willing to sacrifice our phones, or we're not willing to sacrifice a conversation, or we're not willing to sacrifice going low, or we're not willing to sacrifice self-reflection, or we're not willing to sacrifice Christmas, or we're not willing to sacrifice, we're not willing to sacrifice some things, yet the fathers in the faith sacrifice their children so that we could know his original intent. And yet we will fight on a battleground. Well, I mean, I don't know what, maybe you guys could come up with some questions, but whatever questions might come up, well, why? What's the big deal? It's just a little pork. Now, most of you might say, that's what Yeshua died for. Yeshua died, so you have access to all of the blessings of the forefathers. He did not die for a free pass so you could just eat pork all day long. And I'm not talking about literal pork. I'm talking about the idea of, I can just give this hodgepodge stuff and be complacent and not really have any conviction because Jesus died for me. If we live that way, then that means we don't believe he's coming back. That's that dichotomy. We can't say our Savior's coming back and at the same time be like, he done away with all that Old Testament stuff. If he did away with all of that, then he doesn't need to fulfill the prophecies of the old. So that means we're stuck in this holding pattern. There's the epitome of a renter and a complacent, I don't know which way's up. Is he coming? Is he not? Do I honor? Do I not? And so you're just kind of going with life in hopes one day my life might be better when heaven comes. But that's not the gospel. That is not kingdom at all. That's why he said, establish my kingdom on earth now. But he's looking for a remnant that he can trust to carry the house of Israel to go back to the original intent. Amen? So I want us to be thinking about that tonight as we begin to engage that what we, we have an opportunity in this sukkah tonight to be able to activate and engage the fathers of the faith that did have convictions, that did know what to stand on, that did know the Torah. It's Jeremiah that says that there's a new covenant coming that you have access to that the law would be written in our hearts. That does not mean Yeshua came so I never have to read about the law. No, in fact, he came. It's inside of you. 
And some of us have forgotten what's inside of us because we're too busy fighting one another. We're too busy fighting about the convictions that we think we should stand on. We're too busy fighting what we should follow and what we shouldn't. The Torah, the law is written with inside of us. There's a frequency that begins to vibrate. That's what I've been saying. I've heard this before. But to walk that out like the woman with all the people Because you're up against a Western culture idea of church. Nothing of the original intent. They're not even in uh, uh, Hebrew culture. And, and, and not even understand. Like when you, uh, Megan and Missy are talking about tapping into emotion. If I can boldly say your example when you were at church. She said that she specifically remembers being at church and there was a couple behind her and there was a woman that began to cry and her husband said, don't do that, not here, that's how they get you. There's something in the spirit that I think that moving forward about the men rising up is that it is not a time for the husbands to say, stop with your emotion. Now, when I'm saying that, I'm saying it in the spirit. Yahweh is not telling his bride, now stop with your emotion. He's saying, get emotional, get passionate, get fiery, get feisty, get something, because you already are. You're just not doing it for me. Right? Right? You got all the fire and all the passion and all the tenacity to hold truth to something. And he's saying, can I turn that for me? So there's something that's beginning to happen when I talk about that, the Israeli culture. They're not afraid of affection. They're not afraid of discussing things. They're not afraid of transparency. They're not afraid of closeness. They're not af- the Western culture has taken some things and has said, now be scared of this. Don't do this. Be stoic here. Don't do a mo-. Right? And that's, we can say, well, I live in America. Fine. But if your ancestors are this... What is it that we're supposed to tap into that he is that we're not accessing? Does that make sense? Because I've heard that a lot. Well, I'm American. That's fine. But even if I moved to Africa, I wouldn't forget my forefathers. I wouldn't just say, well, this is the culture I've been ingrained in, so I guess I'll adopt this culture. There there has to be a turning of our hearts of the original intent and learning who he truly is. Amen? I want to say something about when the Greeks came in and they destroyed the temple and they were trying to get the Jews to assimilate. One of the major things that I think we can look forward to and we can learn from is that a lot of the Jews, the majority of the Jews, were pro-assimilation. They wanted to assimilate. And here you have the Maccabees, which Maccabee isn't their name. It means the Lord is the mightiest of the mighty. It was like a declaration Judah Maccabee, a man who, who decided to revolt with his family, revolted to the death so that they could keep a candle lit in the temple. The Greeks had just blown out the light. The light was gone. It was dark. And they decided they were going to revolt for the sake of this in the temple. How many of us are willing to die for something this small when most of our culture will, will argue with us and say, no, no, it's fine. What we're doing is fine. Mm-hmm. Let's embrace it. Right? Those are the forefathers that we're talking about. That's the type of that's the type of invitation that's being extended tonight. That's the standard that the Lord is calling us to. With building, and I'm telling you, we're going to encounter, we're going to be confronted with Christianity and Christians who say, "No, you guys are crazy. What are you you're, you've lost it?" What, what, are, what is this stuff you guys are talking about? And that's why Yahweh, he had to refine his people through such a fire that the few, the faithful few, he could say, here's the scroll. Here's the, here is the, the family journal that I've kept from the beginning of time that's been passed down from faithful few to faithful few. And he could actually trust them with it. Because how many people are going to revolt against a nation right. to light a candle? in a temple, something this small. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about you guys, but this whole thing about no emotion or whatever, you have to be passionate and fired up. How fired up did he have to be to say, we're going to revolt for the sake of the light in the dark? Mm -hmm. 
There could be more than half sitting in here thinking you guys are nuts. <laughs> but I will, I, will, I, will, I will lay my life down and sacrifice for the sake of this in the future generation. Even if it's just this. I mean, sobering, isn't it? This, this is the place we're at, and we're, that's why it's so important to recognize we're at another place where we could easily just say, okay, this is what the Lord is revealing to us, and you can't unreveal what's been revealed to you, so then you can just deny it. You're not going to die for it. You're going to deny it and say, no, I'm good with this. I'm, I'm good with just assimilating to this or just sticking with where we're at. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to, um, I'm just trying to, to, to discern some things. And I, the, tonight is an opportunity for us to, I'm safe, right? (laughs) Tonight's an opportunity for us to light that passion. And What I want to boldly say as a mother to the sons is that typically the women are pretty passionate. Right? We're typically the ones that are on our faces, leading the family, we're managing, we're maneuvering, we're, we're lit on fire, we're the ones doing the decorating, we're the ones setting the traditions, and that's not what he intended. Now, that does not mean women are not powerful, and that does not mean that you are not launched to the forefront. You see a great example in what we've had to navigate through because what is set is an environment for her to be able to move forward. Uh, Missy was talking about face-to-face. If you read Proverbs 31, Proverbs 31 is not talking about a king married to a woman. It is talking about Emmanuel looking for a body, looking for a wife, a a wife. And uh, how precious your price is more than the precious stone of a ruby. There's so much here, I can't get into it. But it's when, it's like when a stone uh, person puts on their glasses and begins to look at a stone and puts it up to its light. The actual word in that scripture means face. And at first I was thinking like a face, but it's the face of the stone, depending on the different faces, shining towards the light. He's looking for a virtuous wife. That's you. So there's something that gets set in a family when you begin to safeguard the bride of Christ being able to move forward in a virtuous way. So if I can say it boldly, it seems like in the last couple of months, there has been a great kickback with the males in the family in the sense of just not being passionate. Am I wrong? Because it's Friday night, but I hear about it on Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Friday, all all the time. Right? Gabe, if I can use you as an example. Gabe's like, World War III happened in my home. I will not let go of Christmas. That's all happening behind closed doors. The amens are happening on Friday night, but then they got to go home and iron it out. What do we do now? Right? I don't know what happened, but last week he's like, he, he comes up to me and he's like trembling. I don't know what just happened, but it's like I need to figure out what I'm supposed to build for my family. And I feel like I haven't been leading and I need to lead and I need to lead a new way. And I don't know what that is. And, I, I, and, and it was like it just clicked. Uh, Derek, if I can use you as an example. A couple months ago, I was talking about the rapture and he's outside and he's just like, I'm not gonna talk to you about it right now. I'll box you later. Okay, I'm just gonna say it right now. And he's trembling. He's like, I was numb and now I'm not and something's happening. And I, and all of a sudden he, that excites me. You wanna, and I, this is an honoring thing because Amber is always going like this. But when Derek says something was numb and now I'm not and something's beginning to ignite and all of a sudden I start to see wait till you see a son come forward when all of a sudden Dan doesn't look the same 
when all of a sudden Dan's one of the only ones that will sit next to me and talk to me. All of a sudden I get really excited because when a son begins to set a tone, when a son begins to get passionate and dance naked and get on the face and get excited and passionate, something's going to shift. The virtuous wife is going to begin to rise. And the faces are going to begin to be inspected by all the different lights. So this is not a condemnation thing. This is a rising up of what this family is going to be. And there's an opportunity tonight to be able to engage some things to get that frequency to begin to shake. Does that make sense? When they brought the families to the town center, why do you think they went to the father and said, if you Mm -hmm. would just do this? Right? Have you heard... as the priest goes, so goes the house. Mm-hmm. If the father would just do this, then your family will be spared from any of this. If you would just compromise, because they knew that it's all compromised, right? They knew that those people aren't going to be trusted with the scroll of remembrance to keep Yahweh's way. Right? They knew that. So this is a This is why this is so important because ultimately this is about the original intent and this is about keeping his way. This is about not being the people in Malachi 4 that the Lord says, I'm going to put you through the fire because of your corruption and your unfaithfulness. Right? And we're just trying to convey the the magnitude of, of how dangerous compromise is. Well, this is how we've always done it. Well, if you, if you find yourself thinking like that, you might want to really nail down what it is that you're saying that about. And figure out, does this line up with the character of God? Does this line up with what he told me to celebrate? Does this, does, am I mixing things? Am I just, do I even know? Right? We want to be marked. Some of the standards, I don't know if that's what you were talking about, but some of the standards is we want to be marked by husbands and fathers and sons that rally their family around the word of God. I mean, there's been times where we've preached about the secret place and I've had sons come to me and be like, I don't even pray. That's not, that's not a, that's not a, I mean, that is a bad thing, but that's not a bad thing. That's not but, but can, we, can we be like the woman and say, here's the condition I'm in. I'm so busy. In fact, it's been handed down to me in tradition that my role is just provider. So I'm outside the house. Could you imagine Yahweh coming to us and saying, I'm just the provider. I don't want to see your face. I don't want to connect. I don't want to be involved in the inner workings of your home. I just want to provide. That is not who he is. And yet we've been handed down a culture. You work, you cook. Now I'm not talking about literal roles. You guys understand what I'm saying? I'm saying that mindset of I'm so busy, so this is my attribute, this is what I'm doing, and yet that's been your excuse to not even be on your face. Just like females can use the kids, and I'm so tired, and the cooking, and so then you're never on your face. This is an opportunity for all of us as a family to be able to engage and say, I'm willing to acknowledge the condition that I've been in. And do I rally my family around the word of God? Am I raising my children to be able to quote the scriptures, not out of religion, but out of passion? Am I willing to be the first on my face? Do my kids see me first on my face? Or am I following the Logans? Am I following the the renas that say Yahweh in the middle of the grocery store? And I'm like, "Mm." am I first on my face? Am I first to be the one to rally the family? Could we be first or are we at a crossroads for another 40 years and the next generation is going to do it? I don't want, I don't want to be that. Right? So can we be the first? One of the, one of the things that uh, we really felt like tonight, that, and I'm saying these standards because I believe during our encounter, some of this stuff's just going to break. 
Some of, the, some, of the, some of the stuff's just gonna, there's this, this Western culture. Uh, another example is uh, Jason. This Western culture of, we, we've had a lot of breakthrough when, uh, here, stand up. We would get, we're on live, okay, and so, and turn around. And so I come up to him and I pray and we get emails because I'm not allowed to do this. This is my son. And there's no shame in how close we are. We talk about workouts almost every single day. I wouldn't be ashamed to go to his house or vice versa. When I have daughters on the deck, guess who's there? Right? What I'm saying is, is some of the standards that we're going to begin to engage is to acknowledge this is the condition I'm in and I'm going to leave my home and I'm going to press through to grab a hold of his garment because I need to be healed. This has been 30 years of me believing this lie. This has been 30 years of no joy. This has been 30 years of not being affectionate. This is, come on! In 30 years, I don't know how to kiss. 30 years, I don't know how to hug. This has been 30 years, my blood is sick. That's what I'm talking about. And that's the stuff that we're going to begin to engage with. And we're going to get out of our home, acknowledge our condition, and move and touch him. Amen? So some of the things that we're going to, uh, that are going to break off, I believe, is that we are going to stop the pattern of escapism and, and, and complacency. Escapism is staying in the home. Right? That pattern of, ah, I'll do it later. I'll deal with it later. I'll talk about it later. Right? Those are the type of things that are going to break off of us as we begin to engage. Amen? I don't know if these were the standards you were talking about, but some of the standards that are going to come tonight are... Yeah, one thing I want to say about escape... Speaking of fathers going first, this is God is is establishing our house as a house of forefathers, which means fathers go first. That's a standard in the house. And one of the big things that we have to stop dealing with escape is escape. I'm not saying we have to be perfect, but fathers have to be the first to wrestle with their own escape. Yeah. I've had a remnant of escape just manifesting. Mm Mm-hmm. And at first, I'm like not even recognizing it. And then we're having to fight over it because she sees it and I don't. And then now I'm at the place where I'm having to actually acknowledge and look at my escape and actually deal with it so that other people don't have to deal with it on my behalf. Right? This, This is... This is, we're, we're all doing this. I wouldn't be up here saying any of this if I didn't have to do it myself. Right? And what's escape? We could all tack on our version of what escape looks like. Mm -hmm. But this is what it means. The standard of forefathers means that the fathers in the house, the priests of your own house, you have to wrestle and confront the escape first. Well, escape could be, well, this is how I have always done it. This is what my dad showed me. I don't want to go talk to anybody. It could be isolation. It could be work. It could be substance abuse. It could be drugs. It could be lust. It could be sex addiction. It could be whatever. Mm-hmm. It could be positive stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I have a great job. I'm going to work. I'm providing for my family. That could easily be escape. Ministry could be escape. We could, we could live one way throughout the week and escape to a ministry facade. Apostleship could be escape. Right? So what some of the standards of, of uh, forefathers means you go first. And, and going first doesn't mean you're better. Going first means you, you make a path and you create an environment for your family to be lifted up and go further than you. Right. And that's part of uh, tonight is that tenacity to safeguard. So not only is there a path that's forged, there's a safeguarding. There is an aspect within the family where the children or the female will begin to operate in a gift, especially if that environment is set. And so there's a launching forward and an honoring of that gift. And a lot of the times, uh, what, what I've seen is that where, um, 
the church era will say, this is what leadership looks like and this is what it doesn't look like. And they have completely misread a family. And so there is a safeguarding of what's happening. And while there's a security in the identity to safeguard what's happening, there really is that environment that begins to launch that safeguarding from happening. So some of the things that are going to come tonight is the tenacity to be the first on our face. The tenacity, and and I'm saying this primarily to the sons because I believe that the, that the, uh, the, the, the point of your existence is to raise sons. Because sons turn into fathers, and fathers are who safeguard what he's doing. There's an aspect of what it is that we're operating in, so it's kind of a twofold thing. Because you have an opportunity to engage in some things, and then what you're actually doing is you're sinking and arcing with Yahweh himself to be able to do the exact same thing for the entire bride. This isn't just about you and your marriage. It's about you being able to synergize with the person of Yahweh. And when you arc with him and you have a frequency with him, you begin to do what my father's doing. It allows an environment for the virtuous bride to be risen up for the wedding day to come. And so what we just uh, ministered on last week was uh, tabernacles. One more thing and then we're going to get going. But tabernacles is the seventh feast. The seventh means completion. When he comes back on trumpets and atonement happens and the judgment of the nation happens and you have found yourself inside the house and then you are able to tabernacle and dwell with him, a new day begins. And it's in Revelations. The eighth day. Eight means new beginnings. Eight is het, which actually means hoopah, which is marriage. There is a covenant coming that we get to tonight because it's after tabernacles. Do you guys hear what I'm saying in the spirit? That after tabernacles, we are actually engaging with what will be one day when we get to tabernacle with him and dwell with him in that new day where heaven and earth have become new. That's what we get to engage in. So there is an engagement that's going to begin to happen where you are in, you are activating the cloud of witnesses, the forefathers, to be able to understand what's coming. You will not know what's coming if you do not study what was. A lot of people, I ain't touching revelations. That's because you haven't talked about the garden. If you do not understand revelations, you don't understand what was. So as you begin to engage with what has been laid before us, you will be catapulted in what's coming. And we have an opportunity tonight to engage. Does that make sense? That after tabernacles, then what's next is to dwell with him, ruling and reigning for a thousand years. And we get to engage in that because we're operating in a prophetic flow. We know that it didn't actually happen, but it's going to. And as a remnant, we get to pull that in just like they did during Acts, Passover, and all the things that we've been talking about, that one day it actually happened. So tonight's an opportunity because one day it's actually gonna happen. And I don't wanna be there when it does. And he's like, you comp- I do not know you. Okay? Thank you for listening to this message from Kingdom Heirs International. If you have received insight and revelation with this message, we invite you to claim that revelation by trading on the trading floor with this ministry. You can do that at kingdomairsflag.org. Thank you.